for a bunch of them. So I'm going to tell you um, what the mother of some young children asked Santa one year. I wonder what you mums would be asking Santa. Well, well, this mum of young children was asking Santa, and probably because one of her kids requested it, she asked Santa for a magical unicorn. Magical unicorn. At which point Santa said, come on, let's be realistic, okay? Okay, said the mum. Well, then I would like an hour of peace and quiet to myself and to drink a cup of coffee that hasn't gone cold. And then Santa replied, what color would you like the unicorn to be? Those of you with young kids will know that real peace is ever so hard to find, isn't it? Even at Christmas. But seriously, though, uh, peace is hard to find. I don't know if you realize, but the world is less safe at the end of 2018 than it has been for 65 years. There is something called the doomsday clock. It's not a real clock, but it It shows how close we are, basically, to the destruction of the world, according to a group of scientists in America. And uh, at 2018, it moved half a minute closer to midnight. Midnight means the end of the world, all right? And we are now at 11.58, two minutes to midnight. That is as close as it's been to absolute world disaster since 1953, which was at the height of the Cold War. And the reason why 2018 was deemed to be so dangerous and so close to nuclear war and destruction, well, it's because of the threat of nuclear war with North Korea, but it's also because of climate change and the fact that we haven't really done anything significant to change that. So they decided that we are now two minutes to midnight. This world is not at peace. But you know, it's not just out there, isn't it, in terms of peace or lack of peace. It's, it's, it's in here. I don't know if you know that the biggest health epidemic for Australia both now and especially as they project into the future isn't a physical ailment, it's actually a mental illness. And particularly it's anxiety. Anxiety and anxiety disorders is said to affect so many people that in the coming years they're thinking one in five men, one in three women in Australia will at some point in their lives experience a major anxiety episode. And that includes probably many people here. There's no peace in our hearts often, is there? And that is, let's be honest, that's even more crippling than thinking about the fact that there's no peace out there. So when we're talking about real peace, which is my topic today at Christmas, it can seem a little bit hollow, right? I mean, for some of us, Christmas is actually really painful. You might be suffering grief at the loss of someone you love. You might be sad. You might feel lonely. So where can we find real peace? How do we get real peace? Who's going to give us real peace? Well, at this point, you're probably thinking, well, he's the pastor. He's going to give me that predictable Christmas sermon-y bit. And at Christmas, of course, the picture of peace most people think of is the baby Jesus. There it is, that nativity scene. Asleep in the manger. And you might know the Christmas carol, Away in a Manger. You know these lines? The cattle are lowing, the baby awakes. But little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. That's a picture of peace, right? That's Christmas. Well, sorry to disappoint you, because Away in a Manger uh, might be a good carol, lovely, is actually, unfortunately, lying to us. There is nothing historical or accurate of that picture of baby Jesus. I am a dad of four kids. I've had four babies. No baby is like the baby Jesus in Away in a Manger. 
Jesus was a real human baby, not some sort of freaky super baby who never cries. I mean, if the cows were lowing, and I don't even know what cows low, what, are, what does that mean? Anyway, if they were lowing and he's woken up, I'll bet you he'd be screaming his little lungs out. And he probably had a poopy nappy too. Okay? Real peace is not coming from some myth about baby Jesus. That's not where we're going to find it. Real peace will come from meeting the real Jesus, the Jesus of history. And today I want to take you to meet the real Jesus and not even the baby Jesus, but the adult Jesus all grown up. Now, just as an aside, Jesus really existed. Okay, He really existed in history. He's not just a myth or a figment of our imagination. Most ancient historians are in complete agreement that Jesus of Nazareth was a real person. His basic life story is backed up not just by parts of the Bible, but also from non-Christian ancient historical sources. But the best and fullest accounts are from the biographies we have of his life. There happens to be four of them in the Bible. And Mark, which is the one we're going to look at in a little bit more detail, was actually written about 30 years after the events of Jesus' life. 30 years. Now, for some of you, that might seem like a long time, but for probably a good half of us at least, 30 years isn't that long ago. 30 years, 30 years ago was the bicentenary. I don't know, how many people remember the bicentenary? I remember the bicentenary, right? 1988, Australia celebrated its 200th birthday. That was only 30 years ago. It's like reading a book from 1980, uh, reading a book now about 1988. It's still in living memory for a lot of us. Well, that is like the biography of Jesus we're going to look at. And we're going to look at one key episode in Jesus' adult life. And let's see if the real Jesus, the adult Jesus, might be the key to real peace today, inside and outside. So I'm going to show you the part of the Bible we're going to be looking at. Where is my clicker? Oh, sorry. Because I keep looking at that screen, which isn't working, of course. (laughs) Here we go. Let's have a read. Uh, I'll read it. And you follow along. That day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious storm came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So for the next few minutes, I'm going to go through three things from that. I want you to notice, firstly, the storm, then the serenity and the saviour. So let's go. Number one, the storm. I wonder what is the biggest storm you've ever been in? That's not a hard question to answer this week, is it? For some of you, it's like, yes, it was this week. I was in the hailstorm. Hail the size of tennis balls. Well, believe it or not, I've been in a bigger storm than that. It wasn't hail, but it was in the middle of a super typhoon. In 2015, my family and I were in Taiwan, and we were at a tourist place called Taroko Gorge in the middle of a beautiful gorge in the mountains when the super typhoon was coming through and we had to be evacuated out. We got out, thankfully, and that night we were bunkered up in our hotel room and we looked out the windows through double glazed thick windows, thankfully, and you could see the rain and it was horizontal. 
And things were flying everywhere and people were being blown here and there and people died in that super typhoon. Well, the account that we just read from Mark takes place in the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee where this happened, geographically you need to know something about it. And those of you who may remember high school geography, I didn't do geography, but um, there's some things about the Sea of Galilee that makes these storms really sudden and really violent. It's 700 meters below sea level. That's how you know, low the Sea of Galilee is. But then it's also got mountains around it, especially towards the east. And so what would happen is cool air would come over the mountains, and then it would drop into the basin, 700 meters below sea level, where there's warm air over the sea. And apparently when cool air and warm air and something happens and violent storms happen really frequently, that's all I know. I googled that one. But um, in another one of Jesus' biographies, talking about the same account in Matthew's biography, he actually calls the storm, uses the word, unusual word, seismos. It's the Greek word seismos, which we get the word seismic from, which is the word for earthquake. But he describes the storm as an earthquake. This is not a regular storm. It was a super storm. It was a tsunami-type waves storm. And you've got to keep in mind also, we know that Jesus' uh, disciples steering the boat, they were fishermen by trade. They fished on that sea, the Sea of Galilee. If they were panicking for their lives, then this wasn't just a little bit of seasickness, okay? This was a serious storm they were in. But more than just a storm, it was also symbolically very powerful. You see, storms and seas for superstitious ancient people meant something more than the physical disaster. See, the sea for them was both a source of life and food and beauty. They fished. It was beautiful. The Sea of Galilee could be very beautiful. But also the sea was a place where they thought darkness and evil was. And so when there's a storm on the sea, it symbolized the powers of darkness and evil, kind of in conflict, in war, in chaos. And for people then, drowning was especially a horrible death. I mean, it's a horrible death for anyone, but particularly for the ancients. Because it symbolized something. It wasn't just the pain of drowning. It was symbolically a person being swallowed up by the evil forces. You see what I'm talking about? And when you drown, you were lost to the depths. You often were not recovered. And so you couldn't properly be sent to the afterlife. This was a horrible, horrible symbol for them. And so what we've got here with, uh, with this episode in Mark's biography of Jesus is a full picture, I, I think, of the opposite of peace. Okay, The opposite of peace. And it's not just on the outside, it's also on the inside. It's not just external to the people in the story, it's within them as well. On the outside, obviously, you've got the stormy seas. And as I said, it's a symbol of evil and conflict and chaos, spiritual battle. But then how were they feeling? Well, we know how they were feeling. They were fearful and they were panicked and they were anxious and they were uncertain and they were insecure and they, they, they were afraid that they were going to lose everything, including their lives. Outside and inside, a picture of no peace at all. Now that link between the outside and the inside is actually where, I don't know if you've read much of the Bible, but many parts of the Bible really square up with life. And it really does here. Because isn't it true that what happens out there affects how I feel? What happens in here? Think about the times you've been anxious. 
Think about the time you've been worried. Think about the time when you felt conflict in the inside. Isn't it often because stuff has happened around you, out of your control, and it's affected you? But also goes the other way too, doesn't it? Because often what happens out there is an overflow of what started in here. Do you know what I mean? Like if I have no peace in my heart, if I constantly live in insecurity, always looking around me, thinking, what do people think of me? How do I fit in? Do they like me? Do they not like me? If I constantly live out of fear, or if I react to others out of anxiety and inner conflict and negativity, well, what is that going to do to the relationships outside of me? Do you see what I mean? It comes from the inside and goes outside as well. Another part of the Bible says this. At the end of the Bible, towards the end, it says in James, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Okay, outside. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Do you see conflict on the outside come from inside? You desire, but you don't have, so you kill. You covet, but you can't get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. Right? Conflict on the outside is related to conflict on the inside, which is why when we come to the topic of real peace, we actually need a picture of someone who is in control both of the environment on the outside and the soul on the inside, don't we? Which brings me to my second point, the serenity. See, where was Jesus as this furious superstorm was being brewed up? And as the waves were crashing over the boat and they were in danger of sinking. Well, Jesus, it says, was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. In some sense, away in a manger was right. Except it was just wrong. It was about the baby of Jesus. It was actually about the adult Jesus. Because Jesus is there asleep and no crying he makes. It's a picture of absolute serenity, right? No matter what was happening on the outside as the boat tilted and rocked and water was splashing in, here's Jesus. He's asleep. He's peaceful. He's in control. Those of you who've battled with anxiety will know that one of the things you lose the most, perhaps, is the ability to sleep soundly. To close your eyes and not let the worries engulf you. Jesus was asleep. Why was he able to be so at peace on the inside? Well, from one perspective, it could be because he's the picture of the perfect human being. That's one picture of Jesus, the perfect man with complete and perfect faith in God. And it made me think of this picture. I don't know if you've seen this picture before. This lighthouse buffeted by waves. The lighthouse is obviously strong enough, but then you see that guy and he's standing at the door of the lighthouse and you can't see it because it's too far away. But if you look closely, the guy in the yellow, he's actually got his hands in his pocket. That's the picture of serenity, isn't it? He's not worried at all. He's at peace. And maybe this is Jesus. And that's truly enviable. I mean, who doesn't want that kind of serenity? To be able to sleep even when the world is falling apart around them. And if there's that link, as I said, between the inside and outside, and the outside being an overflow of the inside, then maybe when Jesus brought peace to the storm outside of him, when he wakes up, it was actually somehow an overflow of his inner peace. And that was able to so affect the environment around him. Jesus, the perfect man. But there's more, isn't there? There's got to be more. Because the Bible paints a picture of not just Jesus, the perfect man, but what we celebrate at Christmas is actually that he is much more than just a man. In one of the ancient songbooks that uh, the people of Israel sang, 
written hundreds of years ago and that they've been singing for hundreds of years. It's called the book of Psalms. We read this, and let me just read it out, and then we'll go back to Mark and see if you can pick out the parallels. This is written hundreds of years before Jesus. It says this, Some went out on the sea in ships. God spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards. They were at their wit's end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Now let's read again, Mark 4. A furious storm came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. See, what's the answer to that question? Who is this? Who is this man? Just for a moment, picture yourself back in that biggest storm you've been in. Right, whether it was this week's hailstorm or some other storm. And imagine you're there and you're in the middle of the storm. You're not hiding somewhere. Or if you are, you actually step out right into the middle of that hailstorm and <laughs> hail's pelting down or into that typhoon or cyclone or hurricane or wherever you were. And you decide to stand right there, feet planted on the ground if it's possible. And then you say to the storm around you, quiet. And you say to the winds, be still. Imagine doing that. Nothing would happen, would it? If you survive, right? But that's what Jesus does. And it actually happened, according to the eyewitnesses. You might not believe in miracles, and miracles are by definition things that don't happen often, if at all. But the eyewitnesses, those closest to the events, remember 30 years, people could dis disprove this because they were around when this happened. The eyewitnesses said, no, this is what happened. The winds died down, the waves were still. He commanded it and it stopped. So who, who is this man? What is the answer to that question? Well, the answer we already knew when we read Psalm 107, didn't we? Who is it that they cried out to? Who is it that stills the storm to a whisper, the waves of the sea and hushes it? It's the Lord. It's God. Who is Jesus? This man is God. Only God calms the storm with a word. Yes, miracles might be impossible, but not if there is a creator God who made everything. Then anything is possible when it comes to that God. And only God can respond to the cry of those drowning. So putting it all together, this is why Jesus is able to be, and my third point, the Savior that brings real peace. You see, the Bible has actually diagnosed the problem of humanity and the world. And it says that there is no peace inside us and there's no peace outside of us because something broke. And when it broke, it broke so badly that it affected everything. 
Not everything, from wars and conflicts to fears and anxieties, even to environmental disasters, something broke. And the Bible calls the world fallen. Have you, have you ever heard that idea that we're fallen? You're fallen if you fell from something. You fall from a standard or an ideal. Or you've left a blueprint and you've gone off it. That's what the Bible's view is. We've fallen from how God created it to be, us to be, the world to be, right at the beginning. You see, when we as God's creatures decided to push Him out of our lives, and we've all done that in polite ways or not so polite ways, basically said, God, you might exist or not, but really I want to live my own life without you. You know, I might pray to you when I'm in trouble, when I've got exams, when I need a job, but really most of the time just stay out of my life. Okay, that's the polite way of pushing God out. There are less polite ways of doing that, and maybe you've done that too. But when we've done that, and we've all done that, you know what? The Bible says something in us broke, and something in the world broke as well. It's a little bit like this. Okay, Christmas is coming up in a couple of days' time. Imagine if today you went and disconnected your fridge. You just pulled out the PowerPoint. In a couple of days' time, some of the food that you were hoping to have at Christmas might not be so fresh anymore, but you'll probably get away with it. I assure you, by the end of the week, when it's 38 degrees out west... Friday, it's coming, all right? That food is going to get pretty disgusting. Now, at that point, you can decide to clean out your fridge, replace the rotten food with some new food. But if you don't connect the fridge back up to the PowerPoint, what's going to happen? It's going to go rotten pretty quick again. See, the problem is the fridge is disconnected from the power source. And that's the Bible's view of all the brokenness. There is a source. There's a reason why everything is broken, is going rotten. And the Bible says you can't address the problem of no peace out there without addressing the problem of no peace in here. But you can't address the problem of no peace in here without addressing the problem of disconnection from God. Right? There's no peace with God. We're like that fridge, disconnected. And if that's not fixed, everything's going to go rotten again. And that is why God had to enter our world, you see. And that's Christmas, yeah? God enters our world, becomes a man. Um, some religions say that the secret to peace is when you reach enlightenment. And enlightenment is when you see suffering and pain as illusions. It's not real. It's not really real. you just got to transcend it. They're not real. Well, that's not Christianity. Christianity is about God entering our world with all of the suffering and conflict and facing it head on. It's not an illusion. It's real. And those of you who've suffered, you know it's not an illusion. It's real. Well, good news. God enters it. He experiences it so that he can provide a real solution to it. Now, how does he do that? Fast forward to the end of this biography of Jesus' life. We won't read out the parts, but at the end of Mark's biography, we will see Jesus face another kind of storm, a much greater storm. He'd be facing, and we read this actually, or Christine read this out, in the story. It was when Jesus faces his own death. As an innocent man, he's betrayed by his friends, abandoned by everyone, he's falsely accused, He's unjustly condemned as a criminal. There is no greater storm that Jesus faces in his life. And you know what? Faced with that storm, I want to let you know, and this is maybe surprising to you, 
Faced with that storm, Jesus was not, not a picture of serenity, like on the boat. He was not asleep soundly. In fact, on the night before he goes to the cross, he was sleepless. He was full of anxiety and fear. And he was praying and he was pleading with tears. And he sweated so thick that it was like blood. Because the next day on the cross, as he dies with nails through his hands and his feet, Jesus would experience the agony of hell. The greatest storm. Hell. Why? So that he... The God whom we rejected could come and die, willingly die in our place. See, our guilt and our punishment for mucking everything up, for rejecting God, for hurting each other, for causing untold suffering through wars and conflict, abuse and pain, environmental damage, all the things we've done wrong. Jesus on the cross pays it all for his people. And not only did he ta- does he take our punishment in our place so that we wouldn't have to I mentioned the night before that he was full of anxiety and fears because you need to know that God faced anxiety and fear. Isn't that comforting for those of us who do struggle with anxiety? He faced such anguish in his soul and so many tears and such pain that he sweated blood. And he did it. In the face of the ultimate storm, so that no matter how bad things get for us, we won't have to go through what he went through. And see, that's how real peace comes. Firstly, Jesus brings real peace with God. As I said, it's like the fridge connected back with its power source. Because now there is no more punishment and guilt and shame. He's paid it all. It's done. The account is settled. So we have peace with God. But then from peace with God, you see, we have peace in here. The Bible says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Right? If God is for you, who can be against you? If Jesus is in your boat, then what can a measly storm do? And from peace in here to peace out there. Do you see what happens if Now that I have peace with God and peace in here, and I start to relate to people out of that, I start to let that overflow into my relationships so that I'm no longer fearing and insecure and suspicious when I relate to the people around me. But actually, I relate out of peace and hope and joy and fullness. What's going to happen? You bet the relationships around you change. You bet the dynamics of conflict changes. Now imagine that on a big scale. Imagine if political and world leaders set policies and related to each other in that way. Wow, what a different world we would live in, huh? If our leaders didn't fear and set policies out of suspicion, but out of fullness and generosity and peace. Well, Jesus is offering you real peace today. And I wonder if you've experienced it. And I wonder if God has brought you here this afternoon, yes, to sing carols, yes, because your friends asked you, but maybe it was a divine appointment. He brought you here because he wanted you to hear about real peace. Because that's what you've been looking for. Well, it's in Jesus. Less than two weeks ago, 100 members of a church in China 
were arrested. China at the moment is clamping down on religious freedom, lots of ways, for lots of religions, uh, for Muslims, minority groups, but also for Christians, closing churches, arresting them. Uh, among the people arrested at that time was, uh, two weeks ago, was a famous pastor and all of his church leaders. Now, the wife of one of the church leaders, there she is, wrote this to her husband the night he was, after he was arrested. Let me just read it out. It's a translation. She wrote this to him. Dear husband, last night I slept well. When I woke up this morning, I heard that you had been taken away. At that moment, my heart had great peace because I knew you had already prepared for this moment long ago. I know you must be worried about me because you've seen how much of a mess I've been lately, but I'm doing very well now. I've loved the Lord more these past two days than I ever have before. More than anything, my heart is joyful and at peace. At night, tears flow by themselves, but it's not grief. It's hard to say exactly what it is. I allow myself to cry, but I haven't felt the least bit of despair. Even if I look for it, I can't find any. Sometimes I want to despair for a moment and grieve a little bit, but I really don't feel like it. I think the Lord has replaced that despair with His fullness. The little ones miss you. they got kids. I told them missing daddy is normal. It would be strange not to miss him. If you miss him, then miss him. Little D, their son, then immediately said, after we fall asleep, we won't miss him anymore. And then he immediately fell asleep. <laughs> Lastly, I want to say that knowing what I'm going to receive as a result of what I'm going through now makes me feel so much better. I really do thank our Father in heaven. His plans are most certainly the best. They cannot be mistaken. So, what more is there to say? I will joyfully accept them. I love you. I'm going to bed now. Do you know this kind of peace? Real peace? Peace that means you'd be able to sleep through the storm. Sleep even when your husband is in prison. And his future is uncertain. Well, the key is knowing Jesus. It really is. It's not just because it's the Christmassy sermony bit. It really is. Knowing the God who loves you, loves you enough to die for you, and then three days later to rise again from the dead and live for you, who is willing to forgive you, who is promising to live in you. And walk with you every single day of your life. And who will come back for you one day. See, when you know Jesus, this God, and you trust and you follow him, you'll begin to experience real peace. You really will. So may you find it this Christmas by turning to him. Let me pray. And I'll get the band to get up and we'll sing a couple more carols before we finish up. Dear God, thank you that you became one of us. You came so that we might have real peace. And you sacrificed your peace to face your storm, death on a cross, so that we would never have to face hell. And all we have to do is put our trust in you, Father, I pray that we would do that. 
that those of us who are searching that you might have brought here today because of a divine appointment, you've led them here. I don't know who they are, but you know them. Don't let them waste that. Help them seek out the answers. Find the questions that they're asking to figure out whether Jesus is worth following. And may they find you and may they find real peace beginning today or beginning this Christmas. Amen.